Welcome back, listeners, to episode 63 of the Football Shirt Show. I'm Adrian Football Shirtalia. We're mixing things up a little bit this week, so let me pass you across to Mike at Footy Shirts. So we've got a very special feature for you this week. But before we go on to that, I just want to talk about something else very, very quickly. So this week, we're actually going to be dropping an extra podcast for everybody, which I think is great news. It's going to be the much anticipated greatest shirt of all time episode because now all the votes are being counted all the stats have been put together and we are good to go and that will go out on a very special day which is football shirt friday this friday but first as i say we do have a great feature this week which is a very very special leeds united special So we've got a really exciting feature for you all today. We are looking at Leeds United and those dizzy heights of a David O'Leary years. And we found the man, the expert, the guy in the know, and that is Rocco. How are you, Rocco? Hello. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you. Rocco, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves to me? Obviously, you've written a few books and you're a co-host of Leeds That podcast. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I've been supporting Leeds for over 30 years now. So my first season ticket was the the inaugural Premier League season in 92-93. In um, and yeah, supported them ever since, of course. And then, yeah, it was um, it was during the Bielsa era where I started writing for the first time. Um, I was just enjoying his first season so much that I started documenting it and it turned into my first book that got published two or three years ago. And yeah, since then, I did a book on the O'Leary years and then uh, the League One era as well, three in, in League One. Um, so yeah, three very interesting periods of the club. And then I started as well, uh, with the Leeds That podcast a couple of seasons ago. Uh, so yeah, writing for them, uh, co-hosting weekly. So yeah, it's been, been really good Been been great to, to be involved with. And what a journey as a Leeds fan as well. It's going into the Premier League. You just come off winning what the first division championship, not long before either. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So we were champions and I mean, I thought that I was a lucky charm because at home, I think we had the second best home record. We lost one game all season, ironically to Nottingham Forest, who finished bottom. Um, but yeah, that was our only home defeat. But we didn't win away from home, finished 17th <laughs> out of 22, I should add. Wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, still 17th. So yeah, and then ever since then, it's just been yeah ups and downs, as our, as our anthem says. Um, yeah, been been quite quite the roller coaster. Easy to write about, lots of material. I was going to say, and you can keep going, can't you? I think probably one period of time that probably epitomises that roller coaster journey more than anything else from a neutral looking in is that O'Leary era in terms of him coming in, the the, the, the high that you went on, and so we say the drop that came after the, the, the climb on that roller coaster. Yeah. And we really wanted to bring you in just to chat about that, what it was like as a Leeds fan at the time, and take us through those seasons in terms of some of those players, what was going on in the club. Where should we, I mean, should we kick off with how, even reading this, I, I've forgotten David O'Leary 
played for Leeds. Don't get me wrong. And it looks like it wasn't for very long and he, he yeah. had a career ending injury. But talk us through how he how he became manager. Yeah, so he'd he'd had yeah, maybe maybe one or maybe two seasons at the very end of his career he'd come um to to try and shore up our defence. But yeah, like you say, he played about maybe a handful of games or a dozen at the most um, and then got his injury but yeah I guess probably partly because of that connection with the club when George Graham took over from Howard Wilkinson he he called on O'Leary to be his assistant obviously he'd worked with him at Arsenal many many years so O'Leary was the assistant to George Graham and then when George Graham left for Tottenham well basically things opened up for O'Leary we actually wanted Martin O'Neill and with hindsight it might have been a better choice but Initially, nobody was complaining. We thought we'd struck gold with O'Leary because, you know, he, he brought in a load of the youth players into the team and it was just magical, really. You know, every single one of them, there was sort of six or seven of them, teenagers from the academy, you know, just thrust into the first team and absolutely tore it up, you know, pretty much straight away. And and it was it was just so exciting. You know, at that point, you're thinking, well, you know, there's going to be no stopping us here. The sky's the limit. It was all there for us for a couple of seasons. It was, and then, uh, but yeah, we we paid for those good times. So, so it was October '98. He came in, and you got a fourth place finish in the Premier League, which back then was UEFA Cup, not Champions yeah. League. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We we actually ended up pushing Man U and Arsenal pretty close. We went on such an amazing run uh, in the second half of the season. He brought in David Batty just to sort of help the youngsters. And the gel of the team was just perfect. And and we were only a few points behind Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea with with six or seven games to go. But we had a couple of draws and, and they uh, yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, accelerated away. But still at the time, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, we've got a really good chance next season. And we had a setback in the summer because Hasselbank left, which was a really bitter blow that, to be honest, I'm still not even over. I, I'm convinced that we would have won the league that season if he'd have stayed. Um, I think he was all that was missing, really, you know, a, a striker with with experience that could share the load. But we still gave it a good run the next season, you know, top two all year, top of the league for most of it, um, but then collapsed pretty horrifically uh, in the last couple of months not helped, of course, by the off-field stuff, you know, this is where it all started to to go wrong, really. We had the court case in, well, not the court case, but the incident with with Bowyer and Woodgate, where, where an Asian student got, got beaten up in town. And, and so that cast a massive shadow over the club and it, it straight away sort of removed that, the feel-good factor. And, you know, we were no longer everyone's second team. And, you know, there was no, that in, invincibility that, that that we sort of felt at the time just went away. And, and then we had the incident in Turkey before the, the UEFA Cup semi-final where two of our fans were murdered. And, and you know, that came, albeit in the middle, but we ended up going on a six-game losing run. To, uh, yeah, just killed the season dead. And we were, we were quite lucky to finish third in the end, even though it was a, a two-horse race with Man United pretty much all season. It's, it's a mad, isn't it, really, that sort of, I was going to say two external factors but the two off the field factors can have such a and then you obviously feel I can see you feel it can genuinely have such a disruption on on the field events and they were two two huge incidents weren't they yeah and I really felt for O'Leary as well you know for a young manager to have to have to deal with that and and then of course the players as I said you know the team was filled with these kids that have been you know, a couple of years ago, dreaming of of being in the first team and, and they're living their dreams, they're, you know, chasing honours at home and abroad. 
and then you know absolutely incredible and suddenly you know they find themselves in this position where you know the club's in mourning and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how anyone dealt with it. And, I mean, they didn't deal with it. They were they were losing every week, but you know they still managed to come back from that and and sort of finish the job that they intended to do that season and qualify for the Champions League. Did it on on the last day of the season, uh, scraped over the line thanks to thanks to Bradford beating Liverpool, and, and then yeah, we were sort of back on track thereafter. And, and the next season, of course, was uh, well, yeah, living the dream as it as it was once called. <laughs> We'll, we'll get there. Brad, Bradford were helped by a few ex Leeds players in that starting lineup as well that day. Yeah, um, that's true. We think of the O'Leary years and we think of all those signings that came in. And I was going to ask you if you knew who the first signing was, but you've already, you've already, <laughs> you've already dropped it in there. You know, went for the experience, ex Leeds boy, in, in bringing David Batty into the club. Yeah, yeah, and and that was the dream signing. You know, I, I remember when we were first linked with Batty. Like the fans were chanting his name, you know, this was like three or four weeks before we even signed him. He was getting chanted from the terraces, you know, Batty was loved. He should never have been allowed to leave. And yeah, to bring him back was just brilliant. And I mean, Batty was fantastic, you know, really underrated footballer. He was he was so talented, you know, beautiful player, not just a destroyer, but just wonderful on the ball as well. Um, he was fantastic when he came back to Leeds. I think he'd, it was just exactly what we needed at the time. So the end of that 98-99 season, you finished fourth, which was UEFA Cup qualification. And at that point, O'Leary had signed Batty, as you say, and he'd brought in Eric Backer as well. I'll tell you what, that's a name in the past. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he wasn't, wasn't a big name at all at that point, was he? And, and, and no. appeared and did really big things for the next couple of years for you. He was brilliant, Backer. Yeah, really, really good. And, and that was it. You know, O'Leary had this clear strategy, he made no secret of the fact that he wanted young, I mean, mainly British. Backer was obviously um, Norwegian, but, you know, he wanted young British players up and coming to, to fit into the squad. But also Leeds were very, very patient in the transfer market. And this is the part of the story that's probably the most baffling considering how it went. Because, you know, we were walking away from big transfers. You know, Kieran Dyer, we refused to pay six million for him. So he went to Newcastle. John Arnariza, we were trying to sign him from Monaco, I think it was, and wouldn't pay, I think, four million. He ended up going to Liverpool, you know, two players that we really could have done with. <laughs> uh, so it's like they were, they were patient at the wrong time and then panicked at the wrong time as well, actually, as we'll probably come to. Uh, but yeah, it's just fascinating how sensible they were in those days. You know, they wouldn't overplay, overpay for players, you know, they were they were taking it, you know, really steady and sensibly. What happened to that strategy? Yeah, no, and you, you talk about that, and it's it's really clear. Now, look at it on paper that ninety nine two thousand summer, then the players they brought in. So, young Danny Mills, four million. I mean, that's it was big money back then, but it wasn't silly yeah. money, was it? You know, debris from Chelsea, probably a bit of an older head, but same 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 British, same English. Michael Bridges, really really rated striker, wasn't he? I mean, that was, yeah. that was probably the big name that summer yeah um, I think he was Hasselbank as well I mean that's a big ask yeah exactly yeah I mean he was brought into play with Hasselbank and and probably by the end of the season he needed him but you know he, he fired through the first half of the season he was on fire um and he, he was brilliant and I mean I was I, I wasn't particularly happy that we spent five million on him because he he wasn't even getting a game at Sunderland Sunderland were in the league below but they had Niall Quinn and Phillips up front so I think Bridges was sort of getting minutes here and there playing in midfield and, and then obviously maybe coming on or whatever. Um, so I was wondering why we we're spending five million on him. But yeah, that was a, an inspired signing. Yeah, top scorer. Huckabee, four million from Coventry. That, yeah, he does some yeah. pretty, pretty big appearances, doesn't he? The previous seasons, standout goals. You still watch him on telly oh, now, yeah. don't you? 
Um, so that yeah, must yeah. Be an exciting one. I remember him scoring a hat trick at Ellen Road one time. So I was, I, he was the one I was most excited about, but probably uh, delivered okay. the least in the end. Yeah, okay. Yeah, now I can understand why, though. I shouldn't why, because he was the sort of player that was, uh, match of the day was always getting you out of your armchair because he's yeah, always scoring yeah. spectacular goals. And then I guess, again, another one to sort of steady his ship who'd been there and done it, um, Jason Wilcox. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, again, was an inspired signing because not only because Wilcox was just a you know, really steady presence in the dressing room and someone who had been there and, and done it and a reliable winger, you know, sort of seven or eight out of 10 every week and, and played really well. But the main thing was he released Harry Kuhl to be able to move central. So Kuhl started playing up front with Bridges, you know, just in a free role behind him. Um, rather than being shackled to the left wing and, and, and Kiel just exploded that season. You know, I think he won one young player of the year and he was in the running for, for player of the year itself. And I think he scored about 17 goals. He was, he was unbelievable, actually. You know, when you look back at the highlights, it, it, I, I'm always surprised watching him, how, how fantastic he was. He, he was an absolute joy. And like a lot of our young players, you know, never, never, never really sort of, reached the heights you expected you know probably because of injuries um or certainly partly because of injuries but yeah he was he was frightening that season he, he was awesome what was the story on harry kill in terms of he came through at Leeds. I mean, did you bring him across from Australia? Or... Yeah, he he was a he was a schoolboy, and he came on a trial, um, just you know, just to try and win a, a scholarship in England, and and that's how he landed at Leeds. Yeah, so I think he was about sixteen when he came, and I think he made his debut either that season or a bit later. It's like seventeen when he made his debut, and then a couple of years later broke broke into the team, and and then never yeah never looked back from there after. Over the next few seasons, you've got your Woodgates, your Bowyers, your Alan Smiths, your Ian Hart's, your McPhail's. I mean, I think injuries probably yeah. affected quite quite a few of your players. Actually, we've already spoken. Yeah. About, but I, I, the one thing that sort of does stand out, you've got that strategy, 90-90,000, but that's the best part of 30 million spent. And yeah. House of Bank out for 12 million was the only, probably the only player that got any noticeable fee. That's right. Yeah. Was that an early it's, warning or back then? Is it Was it not really a, a thought? No, it, it it wasn't a thought at that stage, I don't think. I think we were just, you know, thinking that we were being ambitious. I think the previous summer we, we'd, we'd, we'd been taken over. Um, so we had new owners the previous summer or two summers previous. So I think we sort of expected that they would spend money. And, you know, O'Leary spoke about it a lot. In fact, when O'Leary took the job, um, so O'Leary was the, the caretaker, and when they offered him the job, he didn't take it straight away. He didn't sign a contract for, you know, over a week because he wanted assurances about yeah. transfer fees, about, you know, how much money he would have to spend, which probably says a lot. And actually, as I was writing the, the O'Leary book, you know, researching it more, it's more and more striking how much O'Leary talks about signings. You know, he's just always saying we need a bigger squad. We need a better squad. We need better players. You know, the babies need help and, and all this. It, it's just constant, constant message. So... Maybe that ground down the board in the end and, and led to, to what came next. But yeah, like you say, at that point, I don't think there was any concerns from the fans in terms of overspending. I think we were just we were just riding the crest of a wave. Some of the old older heads that went out, like you said, did no bad thing. Was it Sharp, Ginnahalla and Weverall all went to Bradford and actually did you a favour in the end? 
Yeah, yeah, and Weatherall got the goal, didn't he? It, which was amazing. And I, I always looked out for Bradford's scores anyway. I know it's a local rival, but I always wanted them to to do well and to stay up. So I, it was like a double, yeah, double celebration. Um, but that was an amazing day, and, and Weatherall scoring the goal to get us in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, it's just poetic. Allah takes it. I think they've probably got rid of too many old heads a bit too soon, especially, I mean, they weren't to know that we would struggle with injuries so badly, but having such a young squad, yeah, looking back, I feel like it was a mistake to let, let some of those older heads go, even if they weren't of the quality that we wanted for Champions League football. It's handy, isn't it, having people around like that? You're right, but you did go big again, didn't you, the Champions League football coming? Yeah. Probably... Two of the biggest players you sort of think of when you think of the era that he brought in. Don't get me wrong, you've got your Harry Kills and things that you developed, but that was just you brought Mark Viduka in and Rio Ferdinand for world yeah. record FIFA a defender, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. British transfer record and then, yeah, the world record FIFA defender, 18 million. And yeah, it was, it, that was quite flabbergasting for, for me and for everybody, really. I mean, we've been linked with him all summer. You know, I, I think everyone knew that O'Leary wanted him as like the long-term replacement for Wood, uh, for um, Radderby. Like the fee was always banded around at about 12 million. When it was revealed that we'd agreed a fee and it was 18, you know, like we were all just dumbstruck. I, I couldn't believe it. And I mean, again, I, I think this is just me. Uh, generally, I'm always pessimistic, but, you know, I was thinking it was crazy. You know, this guy, you know, is West Ham. He's just, you know, ball-playing defender, you know, can he even defend? But Within within two matches, like you could see, he was absolutely world class. He was he was amazing. You know, he sort of there's there's some players that you see and they're just they're just different. You know, and and it's the same in other sports. Like you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, the way he hits a snooker ball, and like Kevin Peterson, and like I got that feeling watching watching Ferdinand. He was just he was just a different class. He was really stand out. So that was so exciting having having play like him in the team. But yeah, that was the point where you're starting to think, where is this money coming from? <laughs> <laughs> that is a big outlay. <laughs> it is, it is. So it's eight, yeah, 18 Ferdinand, six and a half for the Duca. Dominic Matteo, again, you know, great servant for the club. Um, 4.75 million. Quite, yeah, it's quite a big, quite a sizable yeah. fee, I guess, for a, for, for a defender of his profile. Um, Robbie Keane, you brought him back from Inter. Was that later in the season for 12 million? Yeah. Well, he came in on loan at first. So that made sense because we had a lot of injuries. Yeah. And Keane came in on loan and, and and it worked brilliantly. You know, it was a masterstroke. He, he, he would play the league games and Alan Smith would play the European games. Second half of the season, we were just winning every week. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but then, you know, you get to the end of the season and, and was it wise to spend, what was it, 13 million on him? Um, you know, when we had so many strikers already at the club. Champions League football coming at that stage. I mean, Leeds had and, and tasted European football before. You know, that team of the late 60s, early 70s won the... I never know what the Intercity Cup yeah. was. It was equivalent of like the UEFA Cup sort of thing. UEFA wasn't it, Cup, yeah. yeah. Um, They'd won two UEFA Cups and then um, they got to the final of the Cup Winners' Cup and lost that and then lost the European Cup final as well a couple of years later. So, yeah, the club had, had been 
I mean, all through the Rebbe years, 10 years, we were we were always in the latter stages of European football. But like to experience it for myself was was just surreal, really. It was it was incredible. Like I'd, I'd had I think we'd had one or two UEFA Cup campaigns under Wilkinson. And we had actually the inaugural Champions League. We were we were in Europe as as the English champions, of course, and lost to Rangers. Um, but that is sort of ended before it had started, really. So yeah, to have it week in week out in the Champions League with with the draws that we got as well against some of the biggest names in Europe, and and coming through those those ties, it was just phenomenal. It was such an amazing feeling around the club. What were some of the highlights then? Because I seem to remember there was some. Big comebacks was there was, was Milan in there in your group or something like that? I can't yeah, yeah, we had we had in the first group we had Milan and Barcelona. Um, I mean, and... that's a group of death, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people were happy, and I was gutted because I thought, well, you know, we're out, it's it's all over, and we lost the first game four 0 to Barca, but then in the second game we had AC Milan at Ellen Road and. The driving rain. I mean, it was all set up for it. Looking back, um, and yeah, like a 90th minute, 30 yard strike from Boya um, that Dida just spilt into the net. Just an incredible moment to give us the three points and sort of yeah, like that, that kicked off the campaign for us really. And then you know we were we were on the verge of qualification on the on the second last home game or the second last game at home to Barcelona. We were winning 1-0. We just had to hold on to knock them out. And uh, Rivaldo popped up in the 94th minute with an equaliser. Just an absolute heartbreaker, you know. You, and then you go into the San Siro needing a point. And again, you're thinking it's all over. But yeah, another incredible night. I just always regret that I wasn't old enough to go to the away games. You know, I, I should probably just be grateful that I was at the home games. And then who? what was your journey through the through the knockout stages and yeah that so then well well there was a second group in those days oh, I think it was a yeah, yeah short-lived uh, thing but again we we drew Lazio who were Italian champions at the time with Sven-Goran Eriksson and Real Madrid <laughs> so it's like another crazy group and Anderlecht who were a really good team you know I think they'd won like 20 home games on the trot they'd beaten Man U in the first group stage not knocked them out but but beaten them at home yeah. and they, they were the highlights actually the two games against Anderlecht so they came in the the middle of the group back to back they were they were vital games and yeah, we were losing 1-0 in the home game and, and Hart's got a trademark free kick and then Bowie pops up five minutes to go, um, pops one in at the cop end and, and that was just that was just an incredible moment, one that probably stick with me forever. You know, that, that actually, that probably is my, my highlight in terms of a moment from that era. Anything leads have gone since he's come on. I've been It was it was so important, you know, having to go to Anderlecht the following week, yeah. knowing that we didn't need to go there and get a, a win at that point. You know, a draw would have probably been all right. And we went there and absolutely battered them, beat them 4-1 and, you know, scored some incredible goals, playing some lovely football. Um, but yeah, the, the only downside was that we were already through. And so like the games at the Bernabeu and Lazio at home were, were dead rubbers, which nice in a way because you can just enjoy them. But, you know, it's almost a bit of a waste of the fixtures, really. But yeah, not complaining at the time, of course. I was going to say, you've got, you've got to take it, you've got to take it. So you got all the way through to the semis, wasn't it, in the end? 
That's that right. Yeah. So then it was again. We we got the Spanish champions uh, Deportivo in the quarters, and we, again smashed them at Ellen Road three nil. An amazing performance. Probably the best performance I've seen from a Leeds team. We we were just unbelievable. Uh, managed to get through that second leg. It was a difficult second leg. They beat us two nil. And it was, yeah, nerve-wracking all the way Sweet through. Sweet time, yeah. Yeah, massively. <laughs> but then, yeah, the semi-final with Valencia, and uh, it's like it's just such a regret for me now. At the time, honestly, I, I took it pretty well because I just thought we'd be back. You know, I just thought this was the first season, such a young side, you know, what an experience for us. You know, we've we've gone so far, come so close. The, the home game was a nil-nil draw, and we went there. You know, in my head, we just needed to score an away goal and, and they'd be massively under the cosh. I thought I thought we were going to get to the final. And I mean, the final was was a dream scenario. It was it was Bayern Munich who who had beat us controversially in the 75 final. So it was like a chance yeah. to get a rematch against them at the San Siro as well, which would have been unbelievable. And we'd already actually applied for our tickets for the final. So, you know, effectively, I had tickets for the match. But then we lost, <laughs> lost three 0 in Valencia. That was, yeah. It, I mean, it was horrible. But yeah, like I say, I just, I just felt like we, you know, it would be fine. We'd be back. Maybe not the next season, but eventually, you know, we we would come back. There was so much more to come from the team. But yeah, wasn't to be. Pretty special Valencia team that back then. Though I think people probably forget now, and then you, you look back at it on paper and you realise, obviously, Mendieta um, yeah, and, and all the yeah. other sort of Spanish internationals that came through. That's the thing. That, like in those days, there were so many good teams. You know, the talent wasn't just sort of uh, funneled to three or four clubs. So, you know, it was it was great having to play. You know, all these different teams with with lots of different you know top class players, and and yeah, they they were magnificent, really. Valencia, I think they had the experience of getting to the final the previous season, and I think that probably told in the end. So you finished fourth that season back in the league, which yeah, still was just outside Champions League places back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, my brother's a Liverpool fan, so he was going to all the Liverpool games and I'm going to all the Leeds games and it was Leeds v Liverpool for that last Champions League spot and it went right down to the wire, the last game of the season and and I really, again, really thought we were going to do it because Liverpool had, had just had the, it was that cup final where Owen scored the two late goals, they'd won that and then yeah. they went to Dortmund for the UEFA Cup final, won 5-4 <laughs> after extra time against Alibes yeah. and then three days later they're going to Charlton and they need to get a result. And I'm thinking, surely they're going to run out of steam now. And uh, yeah, nah, I think they won 4-0 or something. Oh, <laughs> that, that put paid to our, our challenge. And yeah, sort of everyone's trying to dress it up as, um, you know, being in the UEFA Cup gives us a better chance of going for the league the next season. But I was going to say, like, I mean, you'd take it now, wouldn't you? You know, Europa, Europa League football, yeah. Yeah, fourth place finish, or it'd be fifth now, wouldn't it, get there? But did it feel like coming off the season you just had, you know, the dizzy heights that you'd reached, did it feel a bit like an anticlimax, like it was starting to dip? Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say it felt like it was starting to dip, but yeah, definitely it felt like an anticlimax. I remember the, you know, the early rounds of the UEFA Cup the following season, I didn't even go to the games, which which says a lot, actually. That sort of gives you an inkling into the mentality that, that people probably had, but it it was a different like this, that next season we were definitely off the boil like we weren't we weren't the same team but we were still getting results I think we we were undefeated through the first 
few months of the season. We lost at Sunderland in November, I remember. And, and even at, you know, on New Year's Day, we were top of the league. I, I was just looking, down. you're definitely top of Christmas. Yeah, top at top yeah. of the turn of the year, you were top of the league, yeah. Yeah, and I think we'd only lost two games, or maybe if I'm forgetting one, three, but not many, you know, but we had had a lot of draws and the football just wasn't the same. You know, O'Leary's team had been famed for being fearless and, you know, attacking football. And and we were just almost the opposite. You know, we we had... Ferdinand now and it was almost like we were relying on our strong defence and eking out draws you know it, it was a good start to the season you know we drew at Old Trafford we'd won at Highbury we drew at Anfield uh, we drew against Chelsea so all these draws that were sort of holding us back they were all against our main rivals you know with a lot of them to come to Ellen Road in the second half of the season so although the football wasn't as scintillating like that that didn't even register really at the time you know we were just a you know top team grinding out results and you just think yeah. you're going to come good and and yeah I really thought we were going to win the league you know even even at the halfway point and it was another nine million on Seth Johnson because another player and this honestly the amount of players you've had that have that, you know come to injuries and but, yeah but there's another one and he was and he was a hot prospect at the time remembering more from championship manager um that's <laughs> where I'd recognize the name from because I think it was crew wasn't he coming from that's but right big, yeah big fee nine million and and Robbie Fowler 11 million so that's sort of another another 20 million spent yeah and so is it is this and you're going to know more, obviously a lot more is this the story about the club had gone and got a loan to have another push at Champions League football against yeah. future gate receipts, but had just missed out on Champions League? So in the background, although nobody knew, this is where it was really starting to... Yeah, yeah, apart. exactly, exactly. I So I was sort of thinking that the Rio Ferdinand transfer had, had probably been in, like, we'd probably been spending next season's Champions League money ahead of time with that Ferdinand transfer but we didn't get in the Champions League. And then the next season, we're sort of doing the same again. We're, we're almost, you know, spending Champions League money that we don't even have, you know, on on Fowler and Seth Johnson. And and this was the point where me and, and all the Leeds fans were thinking, you know, we were starting to think, well, how, how are we affording this? And actually, after we signed Robbie Fowler, um, we had our club AGM and, and Risdale was asked by the fans, you know, how are we affording this? And and Risdale reassured them, you know, saying, look, you know, we're, you, the club is in sensible hands. You know, we're running it, uh, you know, you know, all the all the excuses or all the things that you'd expect him to say about how, how sensibly that they're, they're running the club. And there was no issue. But, yeah, as it turns out, it was a massive, massive gamble. Um, I mean, it, I do have a bit of sympathy in that if they were if they were just gambling the next season's Champions League money, I mean, the fourth place uh, Champions League spot had just come in. So, you know, I right. think we'd finish outside the top four. It was almost unfathomable. You know, we were top of the league. Everything had gone perfectly. Everyone that O'Leary had signed had been brilliant. So if O'Leary says he wants Seth Johnson and Fowler, you know, you're just thinking, well, great, let's go and do it and, and let's go and win everything. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, again, it just it just didn't work out like that. And and I, th- I think O'Leary should have known better. I came to realise very quickly that Robbie Fowler, he had a decent scoring record, but it just took away a lot of our threat. It took away all the zest from the attack. You know, you know Smith and Viduca had torn up Europe. You know, people couldn't handle them both. You know, Smith was a live wire and suddenly, you know, Viduca's not got a lot of pace and neither's Fowler. You've sort of got two sort of, you know, it's a harsh word, but like two plodding forwards suddenly, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Leeds are a totally different team then, and and it just it just never gelled. And then you're starting to get players who are unhappy not playing. Smiths being shoehorned onto the right wing, and yeah, it just just didn't work. It was it, it was a bit of a disaster. Still a fifth place finish, which 
in O'Leary's seasons, it was fourth, third, fourth, fifth. Like you yeah. say, fifth, just not not good enough in terms of what the owners had gambled at the time. And it sort of came came to an end quite abruptly. Did, I mean, did it feel knee-jerk? Did it feel like it, it shouldn't have happened? Or were you... I wouldn't say that it was abrupt as such. I mean, the, the second half of the season had been a disaster. You know, we, we, the results have been really, really poor. And not only that, O'Leary had started criticising his players and his, his players were sort of biting back. And, and it was quite clear that all wasn't happy in the camp. But on the last day of the season, you know, O'Leary was still getting a hero reception. Um, you know, the, the lap of honour that they do at the end of the season, you know, he's uh, high-fiving all the fans and, and everything seemed OK. I think everyone just accepted that we had a, a bad half of the season and, and we would go again. But yeah, when the sacking happened, I mean, I was upset, but I sort of understood it and I was a bit excited. You know, we sort of got to the point where, you know, people were unhappy at things that O'Leary had done. You know, they were unhappy with the the Fowler signing. He'd he'd promoted Brian Kidd ahead of Eddie Gray as his assistant manager, which... I mean, it doesn't Even help, history, because, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Man U links um, and the fact that Eddie Gray is such a huge legend. Um, yeah. But not just that, you know, just just the whole, yeah, the whole dynamic of it, you know, relegating someone like Eddie Gray, who, who's, you know, half the team had grown up with, you know, he was the youth team manager and then yeah. suddenly he's demoted and everything just started getting a bit weird. O'Leary wrote his book and... Ah, know, was that was the, the, yeah. the fight in Leeds or something? What was it called? It was, it was called about... um, uh, Leeds United on trial. on trial. So, yeah, it was, you know, sort of a massive expose on, on the on the club, on the ins and outs of such a delicate topic. I mean, this... It really That's mad to do it in the job, actually, when you think about yeah. doing that whilst you're actually still in the seat, writing about players... Yeah. yeah, we're still playing for you, and yeah. right about your employer that's still yeah okay, All right. It's unbelievable. That was halfway yeah, through the season. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's when we started to go downhill. So you can't say that 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 wasn't a huge factor. And it's quite funny. I, for again for the book, I read um, I read the Leeds United on trial. I'd read I'd read it at the time, and I'd just enjoyed it. I was a kid, and you know it's fine. But reading it now is just unbelievable. You know, he he starts off by saying, oh, you know, players are sensitive nowadays. You can't say anything without them being insulted. And then he spends a whole book, you know, insulting them, albeit, you know, always coming back and, you know, his overall message was that he loved his players, but he's still talking about all the fables and, you know, all, all the downsides to their characters. And it, it, yeah, you just can't believe that a manager firstly could be allowed to do it. And secondly, could, could even want to do it. You know, it was just, yeah, completely moronic really wow yeah okay all right i feel stupid now for asking if the second was a was a surprise because actually the picture yeah, you just yeah. paint there i'm like absolutely not you know yeah <laughs> so yeah. we won't yeah, talk yeah. about what happened afterwards that's that's probably another book you can write at some point yeah, yeah probably not an enjoyable book to write but you know it's probably worthy of a book i would have thought um, well, oh God, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of mentioned it. I, I mentioned the slide at the, like in the in the epilogue of my O'Leary book, you know, because it, it is part of the story, you know, what came next. And so I sort of cover in, in a few chapters the, the slide down to League One. But yeah, it was just, it was just one thing after another. It was absolute heartbreak. And then, yeah, 14 years in the doldrums. Um, yeah, it was tough, tough to take. But then, you know, Bielsa comes along and, and suddenly, as you know, as a football fan, once one good thing happens, sort of everything goes out the window. You just forget it and you're like, right, great. The good times are back. <laughs> Let's just enjoy them. Well, it's like you can carry on enjoying them. You're, um, you're certainly showing fighting spirit at the moment. 
to, to retain your premiership status it's going to probably go down the wire for a few teams we're a football kit podcast so let's go back to the kits back then and this is the, the mad thing about you know even even what was the late 90s early noughties we complain about all the kits that we see every single year now but actually during this four-year period there were only actually two home shirts because they kept them both for two seasons um and the same with a couple of the away shirts so so the first couple of seasons it was puma wasn't it that were yeah just, that's right and it, and it was yeah. a new badge as well wasn't it for the for new, new manager new badge as well yeah exactly yeah we had uh had the new badge um so yeah the, the shield badge that we still have have nowadays um and i really liked that and uh, yeah i loved that puma kit um had like a the, yeah the, the the puma logos down the sides and a little sort of shiny shiny bit down the sleeve um really tidy nice kit i loved that but yeah i think the champions league probably i guess because because it was a champions league and such a good time you know that home kit with the strongbow uh, logo and again just such a clean classic kit really you know you, you can't really find a fault with it it was it was beautiful you know and any Leeds kit that's pretty much pure white is is going to get the thumbs up from me and yeah that was a beauty uh, but also yeah I mean it must have been the season before when it was still Puma I think when we had uh, like the Lazio inspired away shirt uh, which was, you know, pretty out there for the time, you know, because it wasn't classic Leeds, white, yellow or blue. You know, it's, it was sky blue, not the club's colours. But yeah, I mean, that was that was very well received. And, and then we had a yellow version of the same kit as well, which which was my favourite just because it was all yellow. And yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a very big one for for wanting to see Leeds looking like Leeds, you know, even... You know, obviously everyone plays in the home kit because, you know, it's just accepted. And, and nowadays... Like I don't mind having one sort of wacky away shirt and then one normal away shirt, but nowadays Leeds just seem to be trying to go as wacky as possible. And you know, I just I, I want to wear a shirt that looks like Leeds. I want to watch Leeds and and know that I'm watching Leeds. You know, that's why I loved I love us being all white or all yellow because you know it's 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 just you know it's signature, isn't it? You know, there's not many clubs or any clubs that that play in those colours. So. That's what I love to see, but I can understand why it's not going to sell every year, you know, a full yellow kit every, every time. You probably can't get away with it. For, for outsiders looking in, you know, some people almost joke about certain clubs and their kits. You know, you get the same kit every single year, but but you just hit the nail on the head. When, you, when you're a fan of that club, you want a kit that instantaneously, you're like, that's my team's team colours that's my team's kit you know you want that from a home shirt don't you so as much as people looking going oh you know being a Leeds kit designer or Leeds shirt they look the same every year that's that's exactly what as a fan a lot of fans want for a home shirt yeah that's it and I mean especially for Leeds with the like nowadays with the training kits it's just bizarre you know they're coming out with these colour combinations that are nothing like Leeds like I don't know if you 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 maybe not have seen but like at the moment our training kits are basically wolves you know we look like we're wolves you know why would you buy that like crazy and and like we even earlier in the season we were wearing what looked like a cast off of a of a Man United training kit you know it was literally the same kit that they had but with a Leeds badge instead of instead of a Man U one and I don't know how they come up with this stuff, you know. No Leeds fan is surely gonna gonna want to buy and, and wear that stuff, you know. I, I wanna I wanna look like a Leeds fan. If I'm gonna wear a, a Leeds top, you know, I want people to know that it's Leeds without just having to know it's the badge, you know. So I don't get that. Even from a marketing point of view, I, I don't understand how that, that can work. 
Yeah, and even you think that, yeah, as professionals producing these kits, how you can give somebody the same template as as a rival, the biggest rival. Because yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, ultimately, they want to sell it, don't they? And you think, well, that just doesn't even make financial sense in terms of supplying them with it. But Nah, I don't understand it at all. It's a, it's a really strange one. You've had a couple of, as you say, wacky uh way of the kits the last few years i mean what, what have your what's your view been on the on the current kits of the last few years oh god well i i mean i, I love our home kit this season actually even though we can't win in it but i do really like that but my god the away kit the the yellow and blue or you know we call it the the stilton kit you know it, i honestly think it's the worst kit i've ever seen <laughs> like I, I really really hate it like it's 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 worth seeing it in person as well. Like in real life, it's it's just a really horrible shade of yellow, if you can even call it yellow, and just doesn't work. The pattern's just, oh, no, I really don't like it. And then our third kit as well, you know, it's, I mean, it was actually designed by the chairman's son, who's, you know, a child. Was it? <laughs> uh, I did not yeah, know this. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Well, um, unless, unless that's a, a wild uh, Twitter rumour, but the way it's talked about i think it's accepted as true yeah um i couldn't say 100 percent to be fair but yeah I, th- I think it is um and yeah again just a nothing nothing kit you know no identity to it it's not nothing special about it so yeah i, th- I think they need to rethink their strategy and just try and try and go back to basics with it and you say go back to basics we've seen leaks recently haven't we the last week or two of the new home shirt for next season which again outside looking in it's it's looks exactly like a Leeds shirt should yeah. look. So I'm guessing you're a fan. And it's also got a nice hidden detail in the pattern as well, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's been really well received on online actually. And and I really like it. Yeah. Like you say, it's um nice and simple. And then yeah, it's got a peacock um sort of woven into the pattern, um, which looks really good. Yeah, it's quite old school, isn't it? That's how they always used to be in the in the early nineties with the patterns on, used to like that. Um so yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to to seeing that come up. Looks good. Hopefully it'll be a Premier League badge on the arm. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it will. Right, I'm going to give you some thinking time because in a minute we always we always close off our guests by asking them their favourite ever kit mixed with their favourite ever player. So it can be a fantasy fantasy combination. But before that, what are your thoughts on how, how it's going to pan out over the next what seven eight games? Is it left now? Yeah, eight games. I I do think we're going to be all right. We've we've just come off the back of a horrific result at home to Crystal Palace. Um, you know, we were all lulled into a false sense of security, one nil up, thinking you know we're going to canter to safety, and then yeah, that awful twenty odd minutes happened. But I think we're in a decent position. I think we've we've got a four point head start over Leicester, and we've got them to play at Ellen Road as well. So we have to back ourselves. Um, if we don't get enough points, we don't deserve to stay up. But I, yeah, I feel like we'll, I think we'll be all right. I think we're in a better position than last season, at least. So, yeah, I'll put my trust in, in Javi Grazia and, and just, yeah, I think we're going to do it. I hope you do. You've got some exciting players that are showing a bit of form as well, attacking players. So I think that, that always makes a difference and, and hopefully it will for you next, next few weeks. But, but coming back to it then, that fancy question, your favourite ever Leeds shirt, what are you going with? Uh, I'm going to go with the the very first shirt from the Premier League, the inaugural Premier League season, uh, the Admiral shirt. Again, like a very, very uh, clean design. You know, just had a nice blue collar V-neck. Um, and I don't know, like obviously nowadays the kits are all skin tight, but it's just lovely and baggy. You know, <laughs> all the players look good in it. And 
I just, yeah, just uh, probably because I was young as well, it had that magical feel, you know, it just was like gleaming white, you know, that they'd go in at half time on a night match and it'd be, you know, all, all covered in mud and they'd come back out in fresh, fresh kits. And it was just like, yeah, gleaming white, look like gods coming out. Um, so yeah, I will go with that kit and, uh, and in that kit, I would have to put Pablo Hernandez. Um, yeah. I think he, yeah. Just love that guy, an absolute magician. Um, so to see him playing in that kit, in that team with the likes of McAllister and Strachan, uh, that would have been absolutely magical. And yeah, I, I love Pablo. I know he's never he never played for us properly in the Premier League. He only got a few minutes here and there. But yeah, guy was a genius, a, a real a real top top player. So yeah, I will I will bestow that honour upon him. <laughs> I really really do love that answer. You know that yeah, going for a player like that because you, you, I mean the list of players that you could have picked that even you've seen as a as a Leeds fan over the last thirty years is incredible. But but going for a man who got you back there. You know, um, it's a really wonderful answer that. (laughs) I'd have gone with Bielsa, but yeah, he was a rubbish left back. So (laughs) (laughs) he could be the manager on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay stay on your bucket. (laughs) Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Listen, uh, Rocco, it's been so much fun. Um, Really enjoyed chatting um, chatting that through with you. Tell people, where can they find your books? Yeah, you can you can find them on on Amazon or any good bookshop, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's Marcelo Bielsa versus the Damned United, uh, the O'Leary years, League One leads, and then coming out in August is Marcelo Bielsa versus the Premier League. So that's the the sequel to my first book, which was all about the, the two seasons uh, where they got promoted. And then yeah, you can find me on on Leeds That as well, um, Leeds That dot com. Um, but yeah, on, on all the podcast players, uh, a weekly show that we release. Monday or Tuesday or yeah, day after a game, basically. We will share the links to um, to the podcast handle and also to your personal handle, uh, which on Twitter is for everybody. It's at R O C L U F C. So, but we'll share all those um, in there and, and links to the Amazon shop as well with the book. So, fantastic! Really great fun. Look forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays up, and uh, wish you best of luck. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You take care. See ya. Bye bye. I have to say I really really enjoyed that it took me right back to what is possibly my favorite period of the Premier League and possibly of football as well I mean Leeds they were such an ascendant club at that time and I remember as a young lad it was so exciting the squad they were building you know they had that kind of perfect blend of exciting foreign imports people like Harry Kuehl and people like Mark Viduca and Olivier Decor and then at the same time they just had this unbelievable crop of youngsters both homegrown and brought in like Paul Robinson, Alan Smith, Jonathan Woodgate, Rio Ferdinand was there so yeah it was great to kind of reminisce and think back to that time when football was just absolutely everything to me really 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 good uh, interview there AD. Um, Got lots more of that coming up as well because we do have another issue of the pod coming up with Forgotten Football Clubs a fellow podcaster have some really great insights into clubs of days gone by and we also have an episode based on the Portuguese Cup and the kits of some of the Portuguese teams outside of traditional top three so yeah that's uh, with an author who wrote 1000 miles to Jamor and that is coming up in the next couple of weeks so yeah we can't wait for you to hear these because we've put a lot of time into them and we really are looking forward to football shirt friday this week as well so keep your eyes peeled 
on all of the socials for what we have planned for that. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate your feedback there. And I know you're marching up a hill at the moment. So thank you for taking the time out from your walk to do so. We really can't wait to bring you this extra bonus episode on Friday. So keep your ears plugged for that. In the meantime, thanks again to everybody for listening. I think it's all over. It is now.